0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Jan Thomas, who's a founder of Auto Finance, which gives you access to a personal financial coach and helps you to manage your finances, mortgages, pensions, and related topics. What is a B2B to C f- fintech company, which is backed by Flash Ventures, as founded by uh, uh, London Business School, Bain, and Morgan Stanley. Uh, Jan, uh has also worked as a consultant in Bain and companies like Morgan Stanley and Deposit Solutions. He's done his MBA from London Business School. A big thank you to James
1: Liu from Mana for the introduction. Welcome, to Shojan. Yeah. Hi. It's great to great to be uh, great to be on board today. And uh, thank you for the invite.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, you have an interesting career. You know, you are from uh, Argentina, then you you moved to uh, uh you know you've been uh, in in the london ecosystem for for quite, uh, quite some time and you've worked in uh bain uh, and morgan stanley I mean, how did you get into uh, into the world of you know uh, startups and what got you uh, interested to build auto finance
1: i think that's a great uh, great question um i think so, so i started my career in management consulting um and then i uh, went over to to do an mba um i basically did i, I actually wanted to to stay long term in consulting i had an amazing career uh, and a lot of fun uh but i um so but i needed a, i needed a break uh, so the, the two year paid holiday at the mba was was a great option so I, I went over to do that and then over the summer i i felt like okay i i, I w- always um looking for for new challenges and kind of like uh, never, um, staying in the comfort zone. And so when I wasn't at the MBA, I was like, I mean, I could have done no, no summer at all, but I was like, okay, what's the one thing that is actually tougher than consulting, uh, basically investment banking. Right. So I said like, okay, let's, let's try that out uh, over the summer. And I did that. I joined, uh, in Morgan Stanley, um, and I specifically joined the tech team, um, which, um, was exactly what i was interested in uh to do like to, to see what it what it feels like to actually do like tech deals um and especially with a, with a, uh being in london where so much uh, is happening and then you're basically the center for uh, or the headquarters for EMEA, right for a, for a massive region where a lot of like tech deals happen um and so my my i remember like i had an amazing deal over the of the summer we were basically on the sell side of a, of a, of a gaming company that was um, trying to sell the app for a billion approximately. Um, so, basically, doing all that uh, valuation and and the, the road trip with uh, gaming companies, both in, in China and the US, to sell it to big game companies or uh, uh, even um, production, uh, uh, production studios and so on, has been incredibly fun. And then, so basically, I said, actually, I need to try this a little bit longer. So, I joined Morgan Stanley uh, full time um, and um, did. Um, was lucky enough to be exposed to a lot of like really interesting tech deals, um, but at some point I realized that every time I was in a in a, in a meeting with a client, um, in, with a tech client, I realized I was on the wrong side of the table. When I was when, for example, when we I was doing the um, IPO of a big cybersecurity company. And we were like in these drafting sessions with the CEO and then the leadership team. And you're basically, you're building, you know, in these these drafting sessions, you're building the equity story to then present that to, to investors, right? To do the IPO, to do the book building of the IPO. And I realized, I mean, I was really on the wrong side of the table. I wanted to be on the side of the tech company actually building an amazing company like getting the equity story right to then get more funding to get to the next stage of growth of the company um so i said like i need, i need to try this out i need to i need to be on the other side and that's why i decided to join a german um scale up basically that had been doing super great in in germany and in continental europe so and had just done a a big funding round with uh top investors like uh, the founder of paypal and some really top growth equity funds in europe um, so I joined basically to to help uh, to build out the the businesses for the UK and Ireland, uh, the second biggest market in in Europe after Germany. Um, and that has been an incredible uh, incredible uh, journey uh, over the last couple of years in terms of really learning what it takes to uh, to like help build it like to help take a company from A to B. Um, and after that, at some point, I said, okay, now I run out of excuses. Um, I really, I built my network. I know what it takes to build a team, to like uh, work on operations, on business development, on marketing, on human resources, and so on, and actually do business, B2B business development. Um, so I run out of excuses of, of like trying something of myself, um, uh, which is something I always kind of wanted right it was always a scratch like i saw an niche that i had and that i definitely felt it was the right time to scratch uh and so i started conversations with um with potential investors uh, especially incubators and and pre-seed uh and seed uh, bc funds um and then I, I i i basically picked the one that i liked the most and then we we did the funding round and um and started building uh and has been an incredible journey so far um i think there is um always stuff that looking back you would have done differently in terms of hey we could have done this more efficiently or we could have avoided this or that but at the end of the day um, it's just that's just part of the journey that that learning and that's exactly what's also like so exciting right i mean the 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 uncertainty the, the knowing that every everything that you put into the business every every minute that you work on that or every creative session or brainstorming session you have adds exponential value to to the business right to what you're doing and to yourself as a person both professionally and personally as well so it has been an incredible journey so far um and yeah looking forward to seeing where this takes me uh, in the next phase hopefully
0: yeah no this is super interesting because you know you know you've been into consulting and invest, investment banking and also uh, you know you worked as an as an operator and now now as a founder uh, but um do you think before you start a company should should one work as an operator or should one work in a in a large company or in, in a tech startup does, does it really help and you know what was some of your you know biggest takeaways from working uh, with deposit solutions
1: i think it's a great question i think it's definitely something that i would always encourage people to do if you're looking to start something from scratch i think especially if you come from a, a professional services background Um, where I mean consulting investment banking and so on it's very fancy very formal very uh, I mean amazing for the network and everything but but you, you do you work with very very smart people um that work really hard and very fast and i think it's just not representative of their real world i mean i always say that like people in in these kind of places are kind of like resources that you you don't need to motivate them every day you on the on contrary you need to like basically stop them and send them home uh and then just get some sleep and that's just not i think representative of like the 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 entire like a uh, world out there and i think the other thing is that you also like i think Need to learn what it actually means to to work on on on, on real like operations on owning a PNL on knowing what it is to actually like create a product a service put it there, like commercialize that distribute that uh, negotiate with vendors um, negotiate with clients um, negotiate contracts hire people build a team motivate motivate people um, I think like. Th- being in a, in a in a in a in a in a scale up or in a bigger tech company that has all these elements, I think is really helpful to, to really get into the, the, the how, how a company functions, right? And what are all the different elements that you need for a company to function? Because the reality is very early on, when you if if you start something from scratch completely as a founder, I think. Uh, you have to do absolutely everything, right? And 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 there's nobody there to to tell you, oh, this is what you should be doing, or hey, actually, you missed this or that. And there's no structure. It's not like you pick up the phone and you call HR or you call IT because your laptop broke or you have an issue with your phone or whatever your IT setup. You're really, really on your own, and I think that really requires a lot of, uh, I think, resilience and uh, energy. Uh, both, I mean, physically, but also emotionally. Uh, I think it can be quite lonely initially, um, and and I think like having that like backup or not backup, but maybe like background where you say, "Hey, I, I know what it like. I worked in in, in, in in a good brand company. I have like I have a network. I feel it gives you kind of like a little bit. I think like within all the uncertainty of uh, of building a startup from scratch, I think." that kind of um, previous experience really helps you to give you a bit of confidence, Credibility, not only to yourself, but also in front of the investors, in front of potential partners. Um, I think that is that is really important, um, and it, it will just allow you to be more efficient and and I think uh, better at, um, at at yeah at, at building your own company. Having said that, I also would don't think like if you feel I think like starting something from scratch is not for everybody. I think it is. There's no right. The way I always see these things, there's no right or wrong in life, right? I think like you just need to know what it who you are and what is important to you and and what you have fun doing. Um, and cause obviously starting something from scratch is, 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 is very intense. It's very stressful. It's a, it's a huge emotional roller coaster all the time. And, and that's just not for everybody. Right. I mean, some people really thrive in that and really have fun doing that. And some people would really suffer through that. Right. So I think that you need to know who you are uh, and if that fits kind of like your personality as well. Um. So my point is, I think like if you if you always felt that like itch of wanting to start something from scratch and be a founder, then I also think it doesn't make sense to spend like ten years or fifteen years in a in a in a, in a bigger company, a corporate, or or in consulting or investment banking before you actually try something, right? So I think like the bottom line for me to answer your question is it's it's something in in the middle. I think uh, it's always good to do some like. Uh, uh, experience in a bigger company whether it's a tech scale up whether it's a consulting or or any professional services company i think doing that at least a few years before you start something from scratch i think is extremely powerful because it will give you a lot of network it will like really like teach you how to work structure in in a very structured way Um, and those are key key elements um for when you start a, a a startup right because there is, as I said, there's zero structure, there's zero anything uh, when you start. So you have to basically impose all of that discipline, all of that structure to yourself. And having previous experience in in how to do that really, really comes in handy.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. You put it right. There's no right or wrong answer, and it, it depends on the personality of a person. And uh, uh, and you know, i have coming back to auto finance I want to understand how do you wait financial coaches, and uh, is it is it like a marketplace where Uh, you know uh, you wait financial coaches
1: and uh and you connect them with employees Uh, sort of so so basically um what we what we what we do is is we onboard with uh with an employer that is interested in offering financial health as an employee benefit to to its uh, employees um and then basically what we do in, in a very, it's super interesting because we we onboard, we then send an invitation to, to the employees, to the selected employees. Um, those employees basically do and get that invitation to onboard onto our customer, uh, onto our uh, platform. Uh, we built a, we run them through kind of like uh, what we call a, a very seamless and gamified onboarding uh, journey where we built a, a, a financial and risk profile for these um, more, more, more than anything else. It's kind of like a, a financial profile for, for, these, um, for these employees. And on, on, uh, on, on that basis, we match them with a financial advisor, a financial coach. Uh, that then basically we allow them via the platform to connect with, uh, to, to schedule, a, uh, uh, to book a session um, via Zoom, for example, with a financial coach. Um, then once they, they build that relationship you know, over our platform, they get a financial roadmap that is targeted at, at basically helping them reach their financial full potential, giving them the peace of mind that their financial lives, their personal balance sheets, are completely taken or co- taken, uh, um, uh, are, are under control. And from a very holistic perspective, right? That basically it's not only it's 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 having all your your bank accounts, your trading accounts, um, your insurance, your pension, everything really in in all your your assets or your liabilities, everything in one place in real time. And we use Open Finance for that. Um, and then you add uh, a few layers of smart tech of AI to extract insights and recommendations from your personal financial profile. And you are paired with your own financial coach that basically will help you say, hey, actually, look, given your profile, um, you should probably be doing this or that, or there's this or that benefit that you're not taking advantage of um, and so on and so forth. But really kind of like if you take a step back, it's kind of like being your financial doctor, right? Like just making sure that you are doing everything you should be doing in your financial life, that you are protected, that you're, uh, that you have everything in place that you need to basically enable the lifestyle that you want to live over the long term.
0: And, uh, you know, I've been part of a travel marketplace called called Oye Rooms, and uh, I wanted to understand, you know, when it comes to supply and demand, you know, how did you solve the, you know, classic uh, chicken and egg problem when you are trying to... Uh, how, what did you uh, look at solving first, uh, you know, getting employees on board first or getting the financial uh, coaches uh, on, on board first? And, you know, how did you look at solving that problem first?
1: Yeah, so, so basically we... We first started, it, it always is kind of a chicken or an egg problem. Um, I think it's, it always happens, uh, when you start something from scratch. Um, but the way we started, we started to. I mean, we, we, we did a lot of user research, a lot of prototype building and prototype testing. Um, then we started onboarding, um, like hiring and onboarding financial coaches, um, and then doing like family and friends testing. Like, so the coaches giving us and, and our family and friends sessions and seeing how the onboarding works and everything um and only after that basically uh, we started onboarding real customers uh, so i think like um the short answer would be all first first everything that basically the product needs to be a real product right like uh, build a platform um Everything from basically onboarding to like uh, integrate all third-party integration, security, data, and so on. Uh, then bring on the financial coaches, link their calendars and everything to our platform, and then only when that is completely ready and tested, then you start uh, um, onboarding like real users. Because uh, the reality is also like with these kind of products, right? Like you you don't get many shots, right, to 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 make them happy and to get them to test the product. So um if uh you don't want to basically use your bullet if you're not completely ready to do that right i think like that's something that's very important especially in b2b where uh it's not like i can okay i can just burn all these these uh bridges and then i'll just like invest more in marketing and then just get more and more users because there's millions out there right that doesn't apply to b2b right i mean b2b it's 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 a the sales cycle is much longer, way more awesome. effort, way more personalized, and hence uh, need to be way more structured and um, like thoughtful in terms of how you approach that. Mailman is an email
0: assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan. Uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Correct. Thanks. And, um, you know, uh, I I had Faris Tinder from FC Labs who who focuses on Marketplace uh, uh, products and, uh, you know, he he talked about, you know, building modes around your business, you know, uh, how, how should, you know, FinTech and Marketplace founders be strategic in building votes around their businesses, considering that, you know, there have been a lot of uh, B2B uh, platforms uh, uh, which have come up, uh, especially in the fintech space in the last couple of years. What What is your framework when you look at building votes?
1: I think the, the way to, I completely agree that you should always think about like, what is a sustainable competitive advantage um, that you're building and always have like that that view like early on. And for us in fintech, it's first of all, that's why I want to go B2B and not B2B and not B2C. I think I, I don't like business models where your growth is basically linked or immediately linked to your marketing spend. Um, I think that's that's very easy to compete with. Um, I think in B2B you have like already inherently like higher modes because once you, as I said, I mean, sales cycle in, in sales cycles in, in B2B are longer and more difficult. But once you get them, they, they, you cannot just, you cannot copy a corporate partnership, right? That's, that okay. takes a lot of time and ev- like uh, and, and effort to, to develop and to sign and to get on board. Um, and it's not something that where somebody can just like, just by throwing some more money uh, at the problem or some spending some more in marketing, just copy that, right? So that already creates modes. Um, then on top of that, you want to create a business model where it has, where customers and clients have high switching costs and um, and a lot of stickiness, and and that happens in businesses where, I mean, not only obviously B2B inherently, but also where you build a relationship with the user, um, and that's where the B2B2C comes in, because your go-to-market, your distribution is B2B, but your brand equity is B2C. So you're not a white label integration into a B2B. You actually have a brand that the user sees and feels and interacts with, and um, so basically, it's not it's not uh, easy for the corporate then later on to say, oh, actually, you know, at like two two years down the line. This other provider comes along uh, called Johnny Doe and uh, Johnny Doe just does it like 10% cheaper, so we're going to replace you by Johnny Doe, right? For the employees, it wouldn't be the same, right? The employees would be like, whoa, I don't want Johnny Doe. Like I built a relationship with uh, Auto Finance, for example, the last couple of years. Um, and I want to keep that, that is really important to me. So just like, uh, I don't care if you can like save 10%, right? That, that kind of like brand relationship creates um, stickiness. The fact that you build a relationship with your human financial coach as well creates stickiness. Uh, you invested time and effort in building that relationship, also from your end, and telling them about your life and in 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 like actually like going down the financial roadmap that they built that our platform built for you, and so on. And you just don't want to lose all of that effort that you did um, later on just for somebody that's maybe a bit cheaper. So that. And then and, and on, on top of that, like, oh, when you have like, if you are making employees happy and hence HR people are happy, then they have no reason, right? To look at other alternatives, or they would be very close to like competitors coming in and saying like, Hey, um, I want to completely change a provider, which is a big headache always for a B2B. Right. Um, so I think like if you manage to build like strong relationships, make customers happy and have a, a, a brand and have some, I mean, some real B2C brand equity, I think you have a, you have very strong modes. Plus, if you get network effects, right? Because the more data you have, I mean, the more users you have, the more data you have. The more data you have, the better algorithm you uh, evolve, and hence, like a better platform that I like, guess smarter at like extracting insights and recommendations um, from financial lives for 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 your users, and hence improve the app even more, right? The the platform even more, um, and that that is very that's the super high network effects that are very difficult to copy. Uh, yeah,
0: no, absolutely. I think. Uh, Using data to uh, as a network as a network fed uh, to to grow the company uh, is a great example. But uh, you know, I understand that order finance would be collecting a lot of data uh, points because uh, uh, because they're, they're mapping you know the financial coaches uh, with their uh, corporate employees. But uh, do you also look at data to acquire customers? And uh, you know, how would you look at data to acquire customers, uh, especially in the B two B space?
1: Well, I think like what you need to do is you need to, uh, I mean, data by itself doesn't mean that doesn't have any value, right? It's like basically how do you, how do you use that data? How do you extract insights from, from that data? Right. And I think the insights that you need to focus on is what us what are pain points? What are problems? Like you, at the end of the day, users or all of us, right? Like we care about stuff that solves uh, a pain point that solves an issue, a problem or anything in our in our lives right that's that's what we care about so like i think the insights you need to focus on is 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 this helping is this solving any pain point is this helping my uh my customer my employee in any way um is it making their lives easier is it taking a load off is it giving them peace of mind i think that's the kind of like data you want to or insight you want to extract from the data right like understanding what are what is this uh, what what is this data saying in terms of pain points, um, in terms of like potential solutions for these pain points? Um, I think that's that's how like the the, the only way to use uh, smartly that data that you get. Right. And I think like also sometimes it's just people are, oh, you obviously you say, okay, data is a new oil. And so just like, the more data, the better and so on. But I think that's also like not universally true. Right. And you can't just like get data for the sake of getting data. Right. I think that that's even, that's um, even uh, basically shooting yourself in the foot right because you're just going to get like way more stuff than you actually need um and which i mean not only entails actual like risks in terms of like security breaches and so on and reputation uh but also adds complexity to your business right so you need to like i think have an answer first uh, kind of approach where you say okay what are the questions i want to answer right and then okay what is the data that i absolutely need to be able to answer these questions. And then you go and get that data, right? You just don't do like just a blind uh, data point where it's like basically, okay, I'm gonna try to suck up every possible data point that I can um, and then see what I do with that, right? You're basically boiling the ocean. I think that's uh, that's how I would go about it. Like really, especially when you are, especially when with uh, business models that relate to very sensitive and personal data, like your personal finances, I think you need to be very mindful and very careful with what kind of data you actually get, what kind of data you want to store and so on, because you have huge uh, like damage potential, right? Um, so it's not just like you need to be very, very conscious about what is the minimum amount of data you need to be able to solve that problem or to like feed your algorithm, right? to, to, to improve your, your platform, your product. All right. And, uh, you know,
0: in to fintech the companies, uh, uh, you know, is, is it possible to to direct uh consumer, uh, you know, redirect consumer behavior through through incentives or through social pressure? Uh, uh, uh because you know, I worked on a in, a in a SaaS company where we we, we used to incentivize people real time and and give them rewards and recognition. But I was wondering, uh, is it possible to you know uh, uh, use social pressure to uh, to influence? Or consumer
1: behavior. I think it is, but I I don't, I don't, I wouldn't do that. I mean, not not at least in, in our kind of uh, in our baseline, um, because you don't want to push people to do anything, or you don't want to have to force them, or you don't want to, like pressure them to into do anything, right? I think like that's exactly the the model we want to disrupt. If you think about traditional financial advice, right? I mean, financial advisors, uh, traditional wealth managers, traditionally get paid by either transactions yeah. uh, or AUM, right? So they will always try to basically push products and services down consumers' throats just to be able to increase AREM, uh, and they basically milk the cow, so to say, right? And that's why also there's this big mistrust of uh, financial advisors and wealth managers because you know that actually this guy's just trying to sell me something just to make more money. And I think that's exactly what we want to disrupt. So that's why we, our business model, is that the employer pays a fixed subscription price per employee per month so that we can really say, look, we are completely aligned in our incentives. Our only incentive um, to provide this financial health, this financial wellness to the employee is like to make the employee happier and more productive. And if that's the case, then we are a success as a company. We don't make money by selling you products. We don't make money by selling you services. We don't make money by increasing your AUM with us, right? We don't manage your money. We just, we are there for your peace of mind to help you like get a grip of your financial life and just like, Make sure that like the way you're you're handling your personal finances will enable uh, the lifestyle that you want to live, right? That is that's that's what uh, that's our 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 mantra, and that's how we want to be seen as well. Um, and um, sometimes actually it's even not doing anything, right? Like the the opposite of of pressuring users to do something, right? Sometimes it's actually users are. Uh, we did a lot of user research, and sometimes it's just about like giving that. Reassurance to users that, hey, by the way, like we took a look at your financial life, at all your your, your 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 training accounts, your your investments, your insurance policies, and so on. Like you're doing everything you should be doing, everything is on track. So don't worry, focus on your job. Uh your your financial life is, is everything is taken care of, right? And that just again, you didn't sell any product or any service or anything, but and you had the result, the outcome that you wanted, which is basically giving the user that peace of mind that uh, like basically allowing him to like not have any financial stress um, and not have any worries or any, 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 any kind of thoughts about, oh shit, should I be doing something on like here or there? Like, am I, uh, do I have FOMO on this or that? I read about crypto, I read about this. Uh, should I be doing something? Am I missing a train? And if you, maybe you have somebody to say like, actually I took a look and you're all fine. You're all set. Don't worry. Just uh, go about your life. That already has a huge value add to the user and you didn't push him to do anything, right?
0: Interesting, and uh, you know what? what, uh, I've been a part of part of different industries, especially when it comes to travel uh, and uh, direct to consumer P two C brands. But uh, where where, you know, influencer marketing uh, is is pretty common. But do you think influencer marketing uh, could be a common phenomenon in financial industries where you know lot lot of Gen Zs and millennials look up to influencers? Um, but do you think influencer marketing can also be uh an acceleration channel
1: going forward oh 100 i think it's it's um it's uh, definitely something that will come especially for as you say for gen z um and especially as as financial complexity increases right because if you think about it like 30 years ago i mean people you are your savings you could even invest in boring stocks or boring uh bonds right like basically uh either fixed income or uh, equity um stocks in, in in companies and in traditional markets that was basically the extra or you you bought a house and you put your savings into like some some real estate right like your own house your own apartment etc that was basically extent of stuff that you could do right like not that much um complexity if you think about the evolution in the last 30 years now people can invest in i mean first of all like access to investing in like uh tiny stocks in 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 stocks around the world you know with a very global perspective has been democratized uh you have like access to derivatives you can access uh now you have like uh, crypto assets as well you can invest in nfts like the complexity of stuff that you can do now with your personal money it just increases right at some point access also to alternative investments like um, private equity or vc funds and and so on will also be democratized and i think the fact that like there's more and more stuff out there that you can do uh, will lead also that like you want to know like, um, okay, who should I like just listen to? Who should I follow in doing this? Because it's just basically, too much for me to handle on my own, right? Um, so you basically, you'll pick somebody that you trust and you'll start following that person and say, okay, if this person um, that basically I trust and has my a profile like mine and has like goals like mine, et cetera, if he's doing this or that, then like it makes sense for me as well, right? So I just, I, I copy either their trading strategies or I, I, I follow their recommendations and so on.
0: To have an interesting stat for you, to you denote know that the founder of Beautiful Lives Increase the social media presence by 10x, they manage to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use social socialpilot to get a 14 day free trial. You know, uh, while we're talking about Gen Z's and, and millennials, what do you to understand. Uh, how do they plan to, you know, spend, uh, save, and invest money? Uh, do we get some insights uh, from uh, from this particular generation, especially the Gen Zs, uh, because they're going to come into the workforce uh, and be the next future leaders. Now, how do they look at money uh, and investing?
1: That's a very interesting question. And, and given the user research we did, uh, I think what is more and more the case, first of all, people, like, generally, especially Gen Z and millennials, like, everybody wants to retire uh, earlier um so or, or at the very least like i think what's what's valued a lot by these users is all about this uh, segment uh, is optionality and it's not necessarily wanting to retire earlier it's having the option uh, and the freedom to do so um Especially as as Gen Z uh, uh, employees like uh, switch around companies way more, uh, li- really really appreciate or value the flexibility and being able to remote work, being able to uh, take a month off, maybe leave of absence to go travel for two months to focus on on my family, on on, on my personal project, and 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 so on and so forth. I think. Um, the Gen Z really values that flexibility, and hence, I mean, as, as I was saying before, right? That's where we come in as well in terms of like uh, your, your personal finances or your personal financial life should be an enabler of that lifestyle that you want to live, right? Uh, whether that's retiring earlier, whether that's working eighty percent in terms of uh, or instead of working hundred percent, I think uh, the, the, what what Gen Z uh, uh, people want is 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 that, right? Is it's basically okay. Is my financial life going to enable me to live the life I want to live? Or will I have to work like nine to five uh, until I'm 65 and able to retire uh, and uh, only have like a couple of weeks holiday per, per year that I that I'm entitled to given my company and so on? So I think the way I see it is, is what, what is really important for these users is, is flexibility um, and having like that the, I mean, knowing that their financial lives are basically on the right track and that are that they're doing everything they should be doing. To basically enable that lifestyle that they want to live in the future, I think that is the key. That is a key. That that is a key point. Um, and, and and kind of like living less uh, on the day to day.
0: and Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's really interesting how how the uh, the Gen Z generation you know behaves and you know as you rightly pointed out they they look at optionality and freedom. Um, you, you know when it comes to uh, I want to talk about metrics. You know, uh, do you look at GMB as a, as, a, as a sole metric or do you do you uh, you, you know, look at other metrics which which help you measure
1: yourself uh, against other competitors. No, I, I think I mean, Jimmy. Obviously, makes a lot of sense as a KPI, but in other businesses, right? Not in our business, uh, especially not in fintech. Generally, in fintech, you either have transaction costs that are your revenue stream, or you have um, basically basis points on AUM. Um, so you either like charge per transaction, you charge per AUM. Um, but or you charge a, subscri- a subscription to access a, a service like in a kind of like unlimited way. Um, so I think like that's that's how you uh, that's the, the metrics that we look at. I think like uh, one is 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 uptake and penetration, because obviously, especially if you are in B2B um, and offering something to employees, uh, like 100 percent penetration doesn't exist. Right. So like not you will not given that you are when you sign a, a deal with a corporate and then you give access to something to the entire employee base there an employee base is always by definition very diverse right different seniority different backgrounds maybe even different locations and so on so it's very difficult like it's very difficult that you have one product that like absolutely fits everybody's needs within a company right because again by definition the employee base will be so diverse um and hence penetration is very important right because if you even if you manage to sell something to a corporate uh, in uh, with a with a complex b2b sales cycle uh, but then you only have like you could be like maybe the best uh, uh, b2b best development guy ever but then if you have 10 percent or lower penetration then obviously within the workforce then you're not relevant uh, at all right and then at some point the corporate will say actually like um all great but like why should i continue to pay you if so few users or so few employees of mine actually want to use this so i think when you do the, in these kind of like, uh, um, businesses, the, you have kind of like two, like KPIs are very important, not only in terms of like the, the, the sales that you, the corporate sales that you do and B2B business development, but then you have like kind of like two sales, uh, um, cycle, right? Because you have first, you need to sell the, uh, and, and sign the contract and the deal with the corporate, but then you also actually need to sell it, uh, uh, sell it without actually having to like ask money for it, but like you need to sell it also to the user, right? To the end user. Um, and I think. In businesses, I think GMV is not relevant in businesses where you have basically a, where it's a different person that pays you than the person that actually uses the product, right? Because in, in this, in this in the B2B space, like basically the B2B, the business is paying you, but the, 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 the end user is actually using the product, right? So you need to like create something that is super relevant for them to actually engage and want to use the platform um, and create enough value to them so that they in turn tell the corporate, the HR, Hey, actually this app is amazing. This platform is amazing. It's adding a lot of my value. So uh, definitely I want a more, I want more of this, not less. And then you then in turn that makes a corporate uh, or that, that like increases the willingness to pay uh, of the corporate for, for the solution. Right. So I think for us, metrics is penetration is, um, so, so penetration, um, user engagement, like uh, MAUs, monthly active users and so on. Um, because again, like the, the the revenue stream, when you when you have a subscription model, like it, it doesn't matter, like the GMB doesn't matter, right? Because you're not selling products or services, not like uh, where like Deliveroo or, or like food delivery businesses where... Uh, GMV is the key metric, right? Because it's a leading indicator and then you have all the lagging indicators after that. If your GMV grows, then everything will, will, will grow after that, right? And similarly, when in a subscription business is what the, the ARR would be or the MRR, right? Like as a leading indicator. Uh, so that's kind of like, I think like the, the, the key KPI is your ARR. because so that's also what investors like uh, will look at, right? Um, okay. yeah, yeah, that's basically the bottom line.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's it's more mostly for, for marketplaces where they look at GMVU. But uh, yeah, absolutely right. Penetration and MOUs is what you would look at. And um uh, y- you know, you to uh, you backed by a flash ventures uh, and you you had other uh, investors who join you. How did you make the like you mentioned in, uh, in the in initially that you you spoke to a lot of investors and you decided on you know you want to onboard and work alongside. Uh, these
1: investors how did you select the investors and you finally uh, uh you know uh, got them on board in terms of uh, just to understand the question correctly you mean in terms of how, how do you sell to investors or how do you work together with investors yeah i mean uh, how do you choose uh, to have those investors on board oh so I, that's a great question. I think like for me, that was really, really important. So I really took my time. I spent uh, a few months working together with investors on, on on the idea, on the scoping, on the market research, the diligence and so on, to also see how it is to work with them. Because for me, I think like when you were really early stage, your investors are key, right? Because, you know, you like probably even ma- just the money is not, is even, I, I think like not even the, the most important thing they give you, right? It's about the the help, uh, the network they bring on, the experience they bring on. Um, it's basically because they, they, they're getting from zero to one. It's really, really difficult, right? So having a partner that can like be very active in helping you get there, helping you recruiting, team building and all of that is extremely important, right? Uh, and it needs to be fun to work with them, right? It needs to be engaging and fun to work with them. And because it, Again, like in this early stage, you will work very closely with your investor. It's not like later stage where basically investor gives you money and then like, uh, okay, let's have a board meeting every once in a while. And then like, let's see how you do. But like, in the meantime, I leave you alone. I think early stage, you need to work very closely with your investor. And hence, it's it's almost like them being part of your team, right? And not on a day-to-day basis, but like very close to it. And hence the the... I think the human value, the the, the the fun element of it, of working with these guys, respecting them, admiring them as well, and them adding value on your day to day with like experience in operations, experience in, in team building, uh, experience with like or like giving you access to their network, that is absolutely critical, right? Like much more than just giving you money. Um, and I think that's something that I I really put a lot of uh, of value on, because um, it, it can make all the difference. Um, like just giving you money, I mean, maybe you you yeah. You, you spend the money in, in 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 not the best possible way, and then like you don't manage to actually raise more in, in seed or or Series A. Um, I think that the biggest help they can give you is is in everything else that comes uh, other than the money.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, you're absolutely right. Especially in early stages, uh, becomes very important for the investors to to guide kind you. Of and you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book?
1: My favorite business book, uh, actually, that's a great question. Um, the one I, I, I recently read, I think it was, I, I really liked zero to one, um, okay. from Peter Thiel. It's a, it's a good one, it, I, especially I don't like long ones. So, cause I, especially when you're starting something, right? Like you're so busy and your days are so long that you just don't have the time to read a 400 page book. Uh, you need like very short and script and crisp and stuff that goes to the point. So I think like, I like that book because it really, I mean, relevant to my stage, <laughs> zero to one by definition, um. And also like written by uh, somebody that actually knows what it takes to do zero to one. Um, and then there was, I forgot, like there was this other one that I actually really liked and I forgot now the name, um, but um, but I really liked it as well. But it, again, it's, I think like it's, it's, it's um, short books written by successful entrepreneurs that really like go like really straight to the bone of, of, of what matters and what doesn't matter. Um, I think that's super important. The, actually an, another book, like, and it has. It's not not so related to 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 actual like venture building, but I think like it's definitely like around the corner, um, and it's a, it's a it's a great book. I mean, the, the, the name is is a bit weird. Um, it's called the subtle art of not giving a fuck, um, yeah. and it's a, a great book because it really, especially, and I, I I mean you can relate it to anything in your life, right? But like I related it a lot to to the early stage venture building because like really. You have so many things on your plate when you're starting something from scratch that it's it's very easy to like get lost in 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 a world in a universe of details and saying like oh this and that and and you get basically worried about everything right and I think sometimes it's, it, that book was a good reminder of like sometimes taking a step back and saying wait what are the key things that I actually should be like caring about right like okay these are the three elements at the, the rest I can like I shouldn't be giving like. Uh, a fuck about this uh, like the book says and i think that's sometimes a very good reminder because again i think like in early stage uh, venture building you have so many factors so many variables so many elements to worry about that if you worry about all of them you're not you're just gonna be paralyzed like you're not gonna make any progress so being able to like see through like the, the that forest right and see okay what are the trees that i actually need to care about and spend like energy on is absolutely key
0: yeah, no, absolutely. We'll put that, uh, the uh, the the books on the on the show notes. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started uh, building all of what is what is one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I
1: think I would have uh, probably. Um, I, I I think I would have probably spent a bit more time on um, on user research before building. I think sometimes uh, you have that like you have investor pressure, you have like market pressure to just like ship out a product. Um, and um, sometimes I think like if you then have to change more stuff later on, it kind of like uh, becomes then more inefficient uh, later down the line. So I think like sometimes saying like, hey, I'm going to take these extra weeks to do a bit more user testing, a bit more prototype testing, fine tune that a little bit more and then go all the way into build and then marketing uh, the product. Um I think, uh, it's just really being like sometimes knowing when to say no, uh, and push back to investors and to, to everybody else who's pushing you to go faster and to like just, uh, ship something to the market. I think that is something where I probably would have said, like, okay, wait, like actually, uh, we could have avoided these like two, three iterations once something is already built, uh, and the prototype phase. And in the prototype phase, everything's easier to like correct and iterate on than when you actually have already like a real product that is built.
0: Correct. And, and, and do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack,
1: Zoom? I think Slack is my favorite one. I think if I think about it, Slack is the first thing I look at in the morning and it's the last thing I look at in the evening because it's uh, like wrapping up with a team, uh, seeing what like, what's I also like having integrated with my calendar. So I see in the morning, uh, I actually see on Slack what, my, what meetings I have that day uh, and the notifications I get. I see like who's, who needs something from, from my team. And same in the evening, right, for the wrap ups and so on. So I think that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's the tool I like the most.
0: All we'll, right, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, yeah, Jan, yeah, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about AutoFinance?
1: Uh, basically, they can write to me uh, on jan.tomas at AutoFinance.io uh, or reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'm, I'm quite active there.
0: Uh, Jan, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation
1: with you. Likewise, was a, was was a very fun conversation, and happy to to always uh, help. Any, I, I used a lot like networking and speaking to people before uh, building a venture. And I think that that always helps. So very happy to do that for other people as well. Thank you. Cool. Have a great day as well.